This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, January 20th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include The fix for a new Safari browser exploit can't come soon enough since it sneakily takes advantage of a common browser function. Don't expect to find 5G at the airport as the carriers come to a short-term solution with the airlines over interference concerns. You may have heard that Google Analytics may get banned. Not yet, but maybe we'll straighten out the story. Installing Windows on an M1 Mac is not quite as easy as it used to be, but it can be done, and we've got an overview on how. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We're going to get to talk about Safari 15 indexed DB leaks today. <laughs> that sounds horrible. But... Exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like something I might want to make for dinner. I don't know about that. Leaks? I, I don't know. You don't like leaks? I love leaks. Leak oh, I, oh, right. I was Fried thinking, leaks. yeah. L-E-A-K-S. You were looking at the spelling. You weren't paying attention to the pronunciation. Yes, yes, yes. Leaks. Uh, yeah, leaks taste good, sure, as yes. long as it's the L-E-E-K variety. Yes. So tell us about this. This is actually, I like this kind of thing, because not only does it have a logo and a website and a domain and everything, but it's got a live demo. And we'll have a link in the show notes. You go to safariweeks.com and you click and you can see exactly how this works. Right. And and, and that is Safari Leaks with uh, L-E-A-K-S, yes. by the way. <laughs> um, so if, if you go to that Safari Leaks website, specifically in Safari 15, so this is either on a Mac or on an iOS device or iPad OS. If you go to that website, you'll notice that there's a bunch of domains that are all listed down at the bottom, and it says this demo detects the following websites. And so if you open another tab and go to any one of those websites, that website, safarileaks.com, will be able to get information about you from the other websites that you visit. Now, that's not supposed to happen. It, it doesn't show a lot, but what it does show is it, it has a list of a couple dozen websites, and it shows if these websites were in your recent browsing history. So for me, it shows that I've recently visited docs.google.com, drive.google.com, instagram.com, and twitter.com. But what's interesting is it's able to show my unique Google user ID, which is an internal identifier that Google uses to identify each particular Google account. Right. And they have a, a demonstration video where they show how, for example, if you're logged into YouTube and you open up YouTube in another tab, it can get your avatar, which, you know, if you have a unique avatar, maybe somebody could do a Google image search and fi figure out who you are based on that. So there's a lot of things that somebody could do to that could potentially personally identify you. It's got my Google avatar. Even though I'm not with YouTube, just from the Google ah. from the Google Docs site, because that avatar displays on all Google sites where you're signed in. Right. So as you say, yeah, if someone did a reverse image search, they would find me immediately. Okay. So what's going on here? This website, of course, is not the only site that can do this. This is just a demo site that was set up to show that this is a serious bug that currently exists in Safari version 15. So first of all, we should talk about what indexed DB 
is. This is a, a technology that browsers use basically just to allow local storage from the website. So if a website needs to store some data on, on your computer, it uses a, a an indexed database. That's what the DB stands for. And it can store that on, on your computer. The way that this is supposed to work, it follows what's called the same origin policy, which essentially means that a domain is only supposed to be able to access information that is saved for that domain. And there's not supposed to be any possibility for other websites to be able to access those databases related to some other domain. And yet, that's where this bug comes in because there's a, there's actually an implementation problem with how Apple implemented indexed DB. How much you want to bet that shortly after we finish recording, Apple's going to release a patch for this? You know, it's pretty likely um, because the same company that put up this Safari Leaks website has a blog post. And in it, they say that Apple engineers began working on the bug as of Sunday and they've marked their report as resolved, the, the bug report about this major issue. But we don't have a new version of Safari yet. So probably what that means is that they're about to release a new version of Safari sometime soon. Uh, how, how soon exactly? I don't know. Maybe they're going to do some more internal testing. Maybe we'll see it today. Maybe we'll see it within a week. I don't know. But we've had this a couple of times recently where we've talked about a, a bug and Apple's released a patch just after we finished recording. Right. In fact, that just happened last week. <laughs> where yep. We realized after the fact, oh, shoot, there's a, an Apple update that just came out. Let's record a, a little. Well, that's right. We had to do a drop in. Yes, exactly. OK, well, if we're not going to record a drop in, if Apple has released it, we'll mention it in the show notes. Yep. Okay, so there's some news that came out today that is to be taken with several grains of salt. Google Analytics declared illegal in the EU. Now, apparently there was a trial in Austria and an Austrian court said that this is illegal because of the way data is used by Google in the US. And according to GDPR, it's not supposed to be. But this doesn't mean it's illegal in the EU. I'm pretty sure there's quite a process to go from one high national court to the entire EU with appeals from Google, with all sorts of things. Now, a Dutch agency recently said Google Analytics may soon be banned. So we may be heading in that direction. But the, the, the statement that it's declared illegal in the EU is not entirely true. The, the takeaway from this is that, um, you know, a lot of websites really are using Google Analytics. Um, that's probably still going to continue because um, there's expect more court cases related to Google Analytics in the, in the future. Um, I don't think this is over yet. And it certainly is not illegal across the entire EU at this point. Okay, there's been some interesting things in the news about 5G. We've talked about 5G a couple times. I'll link in the show notes. If, if you remember, way back in 2020, Apple introduced the iPhone 12, was it? And saying 5G is the most wonderful thing and we can download films in seconds and all that. And the 5G rollout has been incredibly slow, which is what we predicted back then. But there's been a bit of a hitch around airports where one of the frequency ranges used for 5G can conflict with altimeters that airplanes use. Now, these altimeters use a band that's very close to the 5G band, but close enough that there could be interference, even though they don't technically don't, don't overlap. And they use these altimeters when they're flying on instruments and they can't see 
And they're going to land in an airport. It's a kind of a radar altimeter. So it bounces blips down to the ground and comes back to tell them their altitude. So there is apparently a risk of interference between these 5G cells and these radio altimeters. And this has been going back and forth for a while between the airlines and the airports and the, like the FAA in the US. It's been delayed again, but I think this is just another one of these hitches with 5G that's just not having that smooth rollout that Apple wanted. Well, it wasn't just Apple that wanted this. Obviously, all, all of these other uh, cell phone manufacturers have been putting 5G into their phones for really longer than Apple. Everybody else kind of got there first. A Apple, as typical, um, kind of tends to be one of the last to implement new technologies like 4G, 5G. Um, but I, what, one of the things that I thought was so interesting about this story is just that, um, like, it's kind of funny that this is the first time that we're hearing about this. Apparently, this conversation has been going on for some time, but it suddenly was just in the news this week. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's panic about 5G in your airports. Um, but Verizon, for its part, um, said that they're going to voluntarily limit their 5G network around airports. So I, I think that's really the, the simple solution to this. It's not something that everybody needs to freak out about 5G. It's more that, um, you know, around airports, the carriers, uh, as they're putting up their towers, they need to to make sure that they're keeping that in mind to make sure they're not going to be interfering with, you know, aviation equipment and so forth. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a PDF, United States Frequency Allocations, the radio spectrum. And it's really quite impressive to see how many different bands there are across all these frequencies. You don't realize it, but most of the spectrum is used, in fact, if they, if new technologies want to use new frequency bands, it's going to be very difficult. I, I do want to close with something in the article that we linked to from the BBC, which seems to be a statement from the FAA. Passengers should check with their airlines if weather is forecast at a destination where 5G interference is possible. Now, think about that. The FAA is telling you maybe you don't want to take a plane if there's bad weather and 5G interference where you're hoping to land. That's that's a strange statement <laughs> and a little bit concerning. It is. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to run Windows on a Mac, both an Intel and an M1 Mac. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Thank you. 
so we wanted to talk about running Windows on a Mac. Is this something you like to do? You know, like to? I mean, <laughs> I don't think anybody really likes to run Windows on a Mac, but... It depends. If you need to run PC apps and you don't want to have a second computer, I would say that that falls under the category of like. Okay, okay. Well, yes. If if it comes to, do I prefer to have a separate PC or just to be able to do everything on my Mac? Yeah, I definitely prefer to do everything on my Mac. Yes, that's true. But sometimes we need Windows. I use Windows on my Mac for certain writing projects where I need to take screenshots of apps that have Windows versions. It's not that often that I do this, but I do need to have Windows. There was a time a few years ago I bought a cheap Windows laptop, which was great because, you know, I, when I needed it, I'd pull it out, I'd press the print screen button, and I'd move my screenshots over. But that uh, laptop is old, can't run Windows 11. And I figured that I would have to try and do this on my Mac. Now, up until late 2020, this was relatively easy. But then when I started getting but then when I got my first M1 Mac, the MacBook Air, I was no longer able to run it because, well, the app that I was using, VMware Fusion, didn't support the M1 Mac. And then there were problems with running Windows on an M1 Mac because Windows is designed to run on an Intel Mac. Um, then when I got my iMac last year, the new M1 iMac, I no longer had an Intel Mac to run Windows and I had to come up with a solution. It turns out it's not that difficult if you want to pay for it. Uh, now, I know we're going to talk about a couple of different things. You always want to look for the cheap ways to do things. I always want to look for the efficient ways to do things. Let's take a quick look at the history of running Windows on a Mac. And this is something a lot of people may not realize. I remember back in 1994, Apple released a Mac that you could use both operating systems on the same computer. This is the Power Macintosh 6100. It had what's called a PDS card. That's a processor direct slot card, which had an Intel 80486 processor. And you could run both of the operating systems if you had two displays. And I knew someone who did that. And I think he did it just because it looked cool rather than because he really needed to use both. Did you know that I actually had a computer that was not the same model, but I had a, a, a different model that did the same thing. It actually had a what they called a DOS compatibility card that was an add-on uh, on the motherboard that came with the system. So this was a Performa 640 CD DOS compatible is how they marketed that model. Ah, I didn't know they had a Performa because Apple released another Mac in 96, the Power Mac 4400 that used the PCI compatibility card, which is what you were using. But then, of course, when Steve Jobs came back, he, he nixed the, the clones as well as nixing, you know, running Windows on a Mac. Right. Well, at least with a built-in uh, piece of hardware to help you do that. Right. And it was pretty quick that Virtual PC came out. And this was released by Connectix, which we all know that made RAM Doubler, which was an essential utility back in the early days of the... Well, not the early days of the Mac. We're going into the 90s here. And what it did is it compressed memory in RAM. So it basically doubled the amount of RAM you had. And this is when it cost, you know, what, a couple hundred dollars for an extra megabyte of RAM. Right. Yeah. They, they were very well known for that. And then so Virtual PC was a product that they came out with that essentially let you uh, emulate the PC hardware so that you could run Windows on a Mac. Right. Now, emulation, Think. remember that word, because emulation is slow. Emulation is translating everything as it runs, and that's a lot slower than 
For instance, when Apple came out with Boot Camp in 2006, when Macs were running with Intel processors, that was running, you were booting directly into Windows. So that was running Windows natively on the Intel processor. And around the same time, we got two apps that were doing virtualization, it's not emulation, Parallels Desktop and VMware Fusion were basically creating a container on your operating system that would run Windows on the Intel processor. It's a clever way of doing it. And it's very common now for virtualization, either on computers or on virtual cloud servers. Right. And so one of the advantages to this was because you're no longer having to emulate a separate processor because Apple was using the processor that Windows PCs used. Um, obviously, this was this made it a lot faster to be able to run Windows software, um, regardless of how you were doing it, whether you were doing it within a virtual uh, machine or kind of running it sort of um, you could you could run. Uh, PC apps, Windows apps side by side with Mac apps as well, um, depending on the software that you were using. Um, but uh, it was it was a lot faster because you were actually doing it on Intel hardware. Yeah, it, it's segmenting the the RAM that part of it's using the Intel hardware as a Windows computer. I find it really clever, actually. It's a little bit hard to explain, but it's really intelligent. It's like if you had a car and three of the wheels were running forward and one was going backwards, that kind of thing. You wouldn't get very far, but it's a similar idea. So when the M1 Mac came out, there was a bit of a problem because Windows is designed for Intel processors. But surprise, surprise, Microsoft had been working on an ARM version of Windows. Now, ARM is the type of processor that Apple's M1 Macs use. Microsoft had long planned an ARM version of Windows to use on mobile devices because ARM processors use less power. I read something that suggested that they haven't released it officially because of some sort of a deal with Qualcomm or another company, that they don't want to step on the feet of another company who might lose business if they start using an ARM processor. But whatever it is, there was a version of Windows 10 for ARM, and I booted up my VMware Fusion on my M1 iMac, and nope, can't run on this iMac. And I was a bit surprised because Fusion had been running for years, you know, 15 years. And then I found that Parallels Desktop does it just fine. And I don't know why even now VMware Fusion can't do what Parallels is doing. I put Windows 10 on a virtual machine on my iMac. I've updated it to Windows 11. It works fine. Now, there are a couple of things. You can't buy the ARM version of Windows, but you can get it for free. You sign up to Windows Insider Preview Program. It's kind of like Apple's public beta thing. You don't even need a previous Windows key to get it. We're going to link to an article I wrote on the Intego Mac Security blog, and there's a link to the Microsoft website where you can sign up. So it's actually quite simple. Now, you do have to pay for Parallels Desktop. You can buy it for 80 bucks for the standard edition, but it doesn't give you as much virtual RAM or CPU cores. If you use it regularly, it's $100 a year, yet another software by subscription, which does irk me a little bit. But if you do use it regularly and I use it professionally, then it's really an easy solution to use. One thing that's uh, worth noting, I think, you mentioned in, in your article that um, the technical preview of Windows for ARM processors is 
not officially distributed. You, you do have to sign up for the Windows Insider program, but it's currently free. I've, I've read and experienced some different things on this. So I've read that the Windows 10 technical preview was free. And about a month ago, I downloaded the Windows 11 technical preview. And when I installed that, um, I, it started getting a prompt after a day or so um, asking me to put in a product key, meaning that they expect me to pay for Windows 11. So I don't know if that's something that's new um, or something that is specific to Windows 11 or maybe recent versions of the technical preview of Windows 11 for ARM. Um, I don't know. What, what was your experience with this? Well, I'm pretty sure that I installed a product key when I downloaded the version of Windows 10. And I just checked in my Windows installation in Parallels, and it shows that it's registered to my Microsoft account. And I'm, I just did a quick Google search. And if you look for Windows 10 preview product key, you'll find the keys that you can use that are available for the preview versions. Now, it's very possible they've changed that with Windows 11, but that since I upgraded from Windows 10, that it's not asking for a key. So here's a tip. Maybe install Windows 10, put the key in, then upgrade to 11 from within your virtual machine if you want to do that. Well, this is something that I've been experimenting with because I wanted, so I, I really liked the article that you've got on the Intego Mac security blog about this. That's kind of a, an overview. And if, and like Kirk said, if you want the simple version of this, just use Parallels Desktop. If you want the free version of this, that's kind of what I'm working on. Uh, I, I hope to uh, to sometime soon finish writing an article where I compare it. If, if I can find a good solution where you can do everything for free, then I'll have an article uh, at some point soon on the Intego Mac security blog about that as well. So that's what I was trying to work on. And I tried going directly to Windows 11 technical preview. And for whatever reason, I had a different experience. So your mileage may vary. But you also had problems. What was the problem with the secure boot that you encountered? Right. So this was kind of interesting, too. Um, one of the things that is unique to Windows 11 is that now they require certain hardware in order to uh, run the operating system. And they've always had some technical requirements. They want you to have X number of you know gigabytes of RAM and things like that. But now they want you to have certain security-related hardware to be able to run Windows 11. Uh, and in my, my first attempt to get this working in uh, Kimu, which is a, a free open source um, uh, program. You mean QEMU? <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce it. There's a whole bunch of it's spelled Q E M U, all caps usually, and sometimes with just the Q capitalized. Yeah. I pronounce it Kimu, but how we you actually spent five it? minutes searching on Google before the show <laughs> to figure out if there was an official pronunciation, and the website doesn't even say it. So you can call it Kimu. I'll call it Q E M U. Yeah. Okay. So when when I was trying to get Windows 11 for ARM working in Kimu, um, I ran into some some hitches, and one of the ones that I'm running into is that although I was able to install it um, and get it set up initially, um, I actually had downloaded it about a month ago, and so there's now a newer version of the Windows 11 technical preview, and so if I want to Date to the latest version, it tells me that this PC doesn't currently meet Windows 11 system requirements. Here's why. The PC must support TPM 2.0 and the PC must support Secure Boot. So um, these are, are technologies that are basically looking for particular pieces of hardware and so I need to be able to emulate that hardware in order for Windows 11 to work. 
Right. This sounds kind of like Apple's T2 security chip. And what would be interesting is if you can use software to emulate that hardware that's supposed to be like the thing that keeps everything secure, I, I guess that it must be possible because if Parallels Desktop can do this, then it's got to be possible. Yet why VMware Fusion can't do this, I don't know. Maybe they just don't want to be bothered supporting it on the Mac because there's not enough demand. But I think they probably have a pretty big market for that. Yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised, too, that VMware is not uh, rushing to, to make a version. I mean, gosh, it's we've had Intel Macs for like over a year. A year and a half now, yeah. Yeah, a year and a half. And um, so you would think that VMware would want to get on top of that, but they haven't yet for whatever reason. But if you want this, again, again, the simple solution is just buy Parallels Desktop if you want to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think it They're is. They're not a sponsor, just, just no. for, you know, to be clear about that. But um it seems to work fine for Kirk, so. Yeah. Now, another f way of running Windows on a Mac, and I find this really interesting, Microsoft has something called Microsoft Windows 365 Cloud PC. Mm, yeah. That's actually, that must be the short name. There must be like Business <laughs> Edition Pro Plus whatever. And essentially, they've designed this to be a secure way of using Windows, that it's Windows is running in a virtual server someplace in a Microsoft server farm, and you're accessing Windows in your web browser. Think of this as like Chrome OS in a certain way. You could probably install any apps that you want, anything you have licenses for. They're only marketing this to businesses. It starts at $31 a month, which if you're a business and you need access to Windows securely, and I'm, I'm stressing more the secure here than anything else, because from what I understand, Windows had been playing with this for a while. And then with COVID, they brought it out to businesses. Imagine that you're working from home from a business and your business doesn't want to have to worry about getting you a secure PC. They can just give you secure access to Windows and a browser of any PC. And what I find interesting about that is it offloads all of the hardware requirements. All you need is a secure browser to run Windows. Right. Yeah. I, and I can imagine why this is very interesting for a lot of businesses, because they would be able to control, you know, what kinds of things you can install, um, presumably on, on your Windows environment. But the idea of being able to access Windows from any browser, that's really interesting um, because, you know, you can access uh, Windows apps while you're using a Mac, an iPad, even an iPhone, although uh, that might not be the best experience on such a small screen. But um, even a Chromebook, imagine that. You could have a very cheap, you know, maybe $100 laptop even, and uh, and be able to run all your Windows apps um, through the browser. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, this is a modern implementation of the idea of a thin client. The idea being back in the days of mainframe computers, not everyone had the power to do everything they need locally. So you work with a terminal and the jobs are run on the computer. And, you know, you may not get your results in real time. You may have to wait for printouts or whatever. But it meant that your computing power for end users really didn't matter. They could use the dumbest terminals possible. So th this is an interesting idea for the future. You know, if you think about it, you can already run all sorts of apps in the browser. You can run Google Docs and their other apps. You can run Microsoft Office apps. You can run Apple's Pages, Numbers, and Keynote. And we're going to see more and more apps in the browser. It kind of makes me wonder, you know, wouldn't it be better to just have the app that runs in a browser than have the operating system? But I guess it's more limiting because every app developer has to make a browser-compatible version. That's probably quite a big job. 
Yeah. So I, I do really like this this idea. I think this is this is probably the future of running Windows on the Mac if we're if we're realistic, like long term down the road. For whatever reason, if Windows for ARM doesn't really take off, uh, and maybe Microsoft cancels that at some point, running Windows from a browser is pretty interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised. There's probably other companies that are offering a solution uh, like this, although it may not cost the same as you know Microsoft is offering to businesses thirty one dollars a month but uh you know that's it's a pretty decent solution too it may not necessarily work for video games video games is kind of a whole other thing because you really especially for certain types of games uh where it's live streaming you know uh action low latency is kind of the most important thing there low latency high violence games (laughs) Right. Right. Um, yeah, those may not work so well running inside of a browser, but for just about anything else, you could probably do just fine running almost any other Windows apps in a browser. I almost wonder if companies like VMware and Parallels are going to do this in the future. So basically, they'd rent a data center and they'd just load up versions of Windows. They'll buy OEM licenses that cost pennies or a couple of dollars each. And they could rent out, instead of you running it on the desktop, they could run it for you in the browser. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see that happen. I I think that makes a lot of sense. There, I think there's so many, there's a, probably a pretty good market for this. And I think if they were to advertise it, you know, to the right people and the right places, um, I think you could get probably a lot of uh, Mac users who kind of have that fear of missing out, right? There's some app that they want to be able to run, but they're Mac users. They don't really want to buy a PC for it. I, I think if you advertise it to the right people, you could probably get a lot of uh, a lot of customers using a service like that. Okay. Until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.